I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Romans, Romans chapter 15. We're going to read here just a minute, starting at verse 5. It's on page 949, if you're using that red Bible. Romans, actually we're going to start at verse 1. We're not going to start at 5, we're going to start at verse 1, because I'm going to give you a running, uh, kind of a run at it, so that we have a context. So Romans chapter 15, Romans 15. Starting at verse 1. Hold on a minute. And so out of reverence for God's word as it is read, please join me by standing. Paul wrote these words, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Notice how the gospel is the center of what Paul is calling us to do. Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days, he just quoted from the Old Testament, so he's referring to that. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For, I tell you, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. And here Paul is going to quote scriptures from Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. And if you remember Luke 24, that's extremely important. Jesus said... All of those testified of him. Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. Here we go. Psalm 18. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Sing to your name. And again it is said in Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Uh, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again in Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says in Isaiah 11. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who rises arises to rule the Gentiles In Him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What I read to you is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We come to sit at the feet of your hand-picked spokesperson, Paul. Lord, may we be ready to learn. We come to sit at His feet to learn to pray. May we be ready to learn to pray pray better. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So keep your Bibles open there. So we ended last year with a series on prayer. We went through lots of different aspects of prayer, how to pray, the different techniques, or different aspects of prayer, the different body positions, and all those things. And I just can't get prayer out of my mind, so I thought it was very beneficial that we would actually take some time this year, the beginning of this year, 
looking at Paul's prayers so that we can learn to pray with Paul. If you think about Paul, if we're like Timothy, if we think about Paul, he's the mentor, and so we're the mentees. He's the disciple maker, and we're disciples. And so, as we, if we, if, as we allow this to happen and work right, then we're actually learning from Paul. And you will find, to your surprise maybe, that Paul was deeply in, in, entrenched in prayer. It shows up in many of his letters. He lays out these prayers. This is what I prayed for you. This is how I prayed for you. Here's my prayer for you now. He does it quite often. Um, some of it's very simple, like at the beginning of letters when he says, grace be to you and peace also from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. That's a prayer. And they're all over the, the, his letters at the very beginning. He ends the letters often with a prayer. And then there are specific prayers that he highlights. And that's what we're going to look at. I mentioned this book last year, at the end of last year, by D.A. Carson, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. I highly recommend it. If you didn't get it, please do go get it. I think you will be benefited by it. He goes through many of the prayers that Paul that are in Paul's letters. He doesn't go through all of them. In fact, tonight what we're going to look at is one that he doesn't deal with in his book. Okay, But it, I think you will find it hugely beneficial. A Call to Spiritual Reformation by D.A. Carson. My friends, notice that Paul's prayer in Romans 15, and it is a prayer in Romans 15, there in verses 5 through 13, is clearly about one subject, tangible harmony. Tangible harmony, a harmony that you can sense, feel, see, observe, watch happen right in front of your eyes. This prayer is clearly about a tangible harmony. And like I was talking about this morning, so some of this actually dovetails with this morning, as I mentioned this morning, that's one of the major goals of this letter of Romans 15, of Romans, because tangible harmony, brotherly love, tangible harmony is one of the clear implications of justification. If you understand justification, you realize why Jesus' new commandment is essential is an essential aspect or outworking of justification. Okay, and so that assertion that I just made—that this tangible harmony is a clear implication of justification—that assertion requires that we take a quick review through Romans. Hopefully, in somewhere in your Christian discipleship, you've read Romans at least once or twice, and you have a general concept of it. Okay. But we're going to run through it very quickly, as quickly as I can, so you can see what I'm referring to. So in chapters 1 through 3, Paul's whole working out of chapter 1 through 3 is that we're in a heap of trouble. Right? That's sin. But notice that all the way through chapters 1 through 3 is that we're in trouble, all of us, together. All of us. There's no one excluded. Jews, Gentiles, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, we're all up to our eyeballs in sin. Boom! That's chapters 1 through 3. Bad news before you get the good news. So if we're all in it together, and we're all in trouble together, then it makes no, it's no surprise then that he gets to chapter 3 into 4 and 5, and he says there's a way out together, and the way out together is through what Jesus did. Jesus died for our sins and was raised to put us on God's good side for our justification. His death for His people, no matter their race, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their income, no matter their degree, no matter where they're from, no matter their family background, 
Jesus' death for his people and resurrection makes them right with God together. So, already, you're hearing a gospel of grace, not a gospel of race. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm, I'm going to keep hammering that because probably the rest of the year because it's huge. It's a gospel of grace, not a gospel of race. Okay? So then in chapter 6, he goes on to say, and here's a visible way you know that together you're in it together for the good, on God's good side, because you've all been baptized. There was nobody excluded from baptism because of their ethnicity, because of their background, because of where they came from, because they're from the wrong side of the tracks. No, every one of you went through baptism, which pictures that every one of you together died and was raised with Christ. And then chapter 7, oh, yeah, and we're all still in a heap of trouble. We still struggle with sin. All of us do. All the time. All of us do. No one's excluded. And then chapter 8, but there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for Jewish believers who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for Gentile believers who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for Asian believers in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for Hispanic believers in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for male believers in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Did you hear it? All together. Right? That's justification. You're on God's good side equally because Jesus died for you as people. Equally, He shows no favorites. He has no favorites in that sense. No favoritism. Period. And then you come to chapter 9, 10, and 11. Well, what do we do about God's covenant in the Old Testament to Israel? Well, Paul says, you know, that promise and all those things are there. It's all legitimate. Just remember, not all of Israel is Israel. Right? It's one thing he says. The next thing he says is that those Jews who refuse to believe have been broken off the line of Abraham, the, the olive tree, and set aside. And Gentiles who are believers have now been grafted into the line of Abraham. Oh, Jews and Gentiles have equal standing before God? Yes, that's what justification does for us in a sense, or one of the things it does. We, we're in the line of Abraham now. That's chapter 9, 10, and 11. So then Paul comes to chapter 12. And starting in chapter 12 to chapter 15, he gets to his point. This is why he spent 11 chapters talking about what he's talking about, because he's writing to a church, racially mixed, ethnically mixed, Jews and Gentiles, and both of them, both of them look down their noses at the other. And he's telling them, you have no reason to look down your noses at the other, by the way, you're both saved equally the same way, so show some grace to each other. That's what justification does. It makes you want to show grace to others because of God's grace to you. Does that all make sense? So as begins in chapter 12, where he starts talking about we're all in the body, and we all have gifts, and we have those gifts to fortify one another without exclusion. Right? And then he just keeps on. And sometimes there's trouble in church. Here's how you deal with troubles in church. And make sure you're not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then in chapter 13, don't owe anyone anything except to love one another, because love fulfills the law, etc. And then you get to chapter 14 to chapter 15, verse 13. And he says, look, because you've been put on God's good side by grace alone and Christ alone, 
You can show grace to those who don't like to eat meat. You can show grace to those who maybe like to have some wine. Right? So you can actually not let those things that can divide your neighborhood, you can let those things not divide you. Why should they divide you? Because Jesus bought you, Jesus saved you, and you didn't deserve it. None of you did. So you're in it together for the good. And so you need to show grace to one another. Okay? And so he just keeps that up. And then you come to chapter 15. You couldn't miss it in the first four verses of chapter 15. He hammers it home there when he says, uh, we, are, we who are strong, I think there's some sarcasm in Paul here, we who are strong, think we're strong, have an obligation. That's pretty strong. That's pretty hefty language. We have an obligation to look down our noses at one another. Is that what he says? We have an obligation to do what? We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Who is he talking to? People whom Jesus bore their failings. Do you hear it? So we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please yourself. In fact, he goes on to say, just look at Jesus. You think he was satisfied, pleased to have to go through the discomfort of the cross for us? No, Christ did not please himself. He didn't do what he wanted to do. He didn't, in the sense of he didn't walk away, he submitted to the Father even for our death. He was willing to do that. That's part of the sacrifice. He gave himself to do that which is not uh, desirable by any human at all. He gave himself for us, and so then he quotes the Old Testament. And it goes from there. And then he comes to the prayer. And the prayer begins in chapter 15, verse 5. So at this moment, it's interesting, at this moment, this is, this is the whole reason, or the main reason why Paul writes this letter, is chapters 12 through 15, 13, and it's all about how we deal with one another, and we show grace to one another, and there's harmony, tangible harmony. So it's no surprise then that Paul ends this long dissertation on his knees. And he's inviting us to come here and kneel down next to him, on our knees with Him, praying for the same things. Tangible harmony. So, notice the prayer language. If you were in class this morning, in the adult class, you can't miss it. The prayer language begins right at verse 5, and the very first word is what? May. And may is what kind of language? It's petition language. It's request talk. It's petitioning, requesting uh, almost an imploring or begging, right? So that's prayer language. You see it specifically in verse 5 and 6. Verse 7 is actually an outcome of it. I'll show you all this in a minute. And then he comes back to the prayer language. He's got to lay out one more thing in verses 8 through 12. And then he comes back to the prayer again in verse 13. The first word of verse 13 is what? May. Back to prayer. This is how he comes to the conclusion of all that he is saying. So it's extremely important. So, this is Paul's prayer. And notice it's three parts I'm going to bring out. First off, it's live in harmony. That's verses 5 through 7. Live in harmony. Notice how Paul begins this. So Paul's prayer is based upon the God of endurance and encouragement. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. But notice that language, the God of endurance and encouragement, is linked and links this prayer to verse 4. What is it that gives us endurance and encouragement? Come on, stay with me. What gives us endurance and encouragement? Verse 4. Yes, the Word, right? 
the word that is written. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. It, that it's written for our instruction so that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have what? Hope. So here's the word that is of endurance and encouragement. So may the God of endurance and encouragement. Do you hear the connection? You can't have the harmony if it's not bounded upon or grounded upon this word of his declaration of what he's done and who he is, right? So you've got to have the truth and the peace. It's not either or. It's both and. And so the prayer is based upon the God of endurance and encouragement linking this prayer for tangible harmony to the word of God. And if you were listening to what Alan read, and I appreciate Alan actually extended that reading I asked him to earlier, if you listen to that, you can't miss it. Earlier there in Zechariah 8, God says to Israel, the reason why there was division amongst the people of God is because I was punishing the people of God. Division is God's judgment upon His people. If you don't believe it, go back and read about Rehoboam, Solomon's son. God tells Solomon, he says, I'm going to rip your kingdom apart because you were unfaithful to me. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Israel rips apart north and south. It was God's judgment. And so in Zechariah, a hundred years later, God says, what I did in the past is this, is I set brother against brother. It was a judgment because, why? Because you weren't following me. Never be excited about division. You should be grieving whenever there's division because it's an act of God's judgment. But then he says, now though, there will be a sowing of peace. And then he talks about how they'll be united together. And if you, the, last, the next part of that passage in Zechariah 8, he says, when you speak, when you speak and declare judgment, declare what is true and Lends toward or leads uh, leads towards peace, something like that. What is true and leads toward peace, and then he ends and he says, "Love, truth, and peace." You hear it? It's not either or, and I think that's important because sometimes in churches and sometimes in denominations, you have people that want all peace. No, they're not worried about truth. Well, that's a problem. But then you have a lot of people on the other side who want truth and peace is optional. That's not biblical evil. Love, truth, and peace. And that's exactly what's going on here as he begins this prayer, the God of endurance and encouragement, who gave us the word of endurance and encouragement. So the two go together. Okay? Does it make sense? Okay. So then he goes on, and he prays, Paul pray, Paul's prayer is for harmony, right? The God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, harmony with one another, in accord with Christ. That's important language. Accord is harmony language. Right? It's harmony language. So that you would live in harmony with one another in harmony with Christ. You would live in harmony with one another in harmony with Christ. The harmony you have in Christ, with Christ and in Christ is supposed to work out here. This is what I was saying earlier. That justification leads to harmony. Harmony is an important application to justification. Okay? And there it is, right there in verse 5, that you live in harmony with one another, in harmony with Christ. If you walk around and say, I'm in harmony with Christ, but you eat brothers and sisters and you devour them and you destroy them and you split churches, you ain't in harmony with Jesus. It's just that simple. And so that's his prayer. 
Paul's prayers for harmony amongst one another and harmony with Christ. And then he goes on in verse 6, Paul's prayer is for God's people in this harmony to glorify God with one voice. That's how he puts it. That together, notice the, the unity language, the harmony language, that together you may with one voice glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that language in the Greek of one voice comes up over in Acts chapter 4 where the apostles, after they had been uh, threatened by the uh, Sanhedrin, the, the, the court system, the Jewish court system, and told they couldn't preach Jesus, they get together with the church and tell them what happened, and then it says they prayed with one voice. And it tells you what they prayed. They prayed out loud together. They prayed part of Psalm 2, that's what's written in there, and then the rest of the prayer they have. But they prayed with one voice. They actually verbally prayed together. Now, it's not mandating that we pray together like that all the time, but it's that same sentiment. Have you never been roused when you go to a game and everybody stands up and maybe that day the, the announcer says, we're all going to face the flag and all together say the Pledge of Allegiance? Have you never been roused when you see everybody standing there, hand over heart, and they're saying the same words together? I pledge allegiance to the flag. And I say, That's rousing. It's rousing when you hear the people in the stands then singing the national anthem together, right? It's just rousing. If that doesn't float your boat, how about when they all start chanting together at the same time? Down with the reps! Down with the reps! Down with the reps! Right? That, that one, sorry, it's just funny. But that one voice idea, it's pretty rousing. It feels like, wow, we're not alone in this. So it's very interesting that Paul prays that way for God's people to glorify God with one voice. And then Paul's prayer has a result in verse 7. And notice the result, the aim he's after is welcome. Welcome. What does he say? Therefore, therefore tells you, this is based upon the prayer. Therefore, welcome one another. As Christ welcomes you. To the glory of God. Did you hear it? Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Did Christ stop you at the door and say, did you vote Republican this week? You ain't coming in until you vote Republican. He didn't say that. He said, do you realize you're a sinner? Yes. Do you trust me? Yes. Right? Do you get it? He welcomed one another as Christ welcomed us. That's pretty huge. Should be kind of convicting actually looking at that, but that's the result, the outworking of his prayer, of this harmony, for this tangible harmony. And so, my friends, this living in harmony is all over Paul's letters. I was talking about it this morning about brotherly love. It's all over Paul's letters. It's, it's such as, such as the important paragraph at the end of Ephesians chapter six, the very last, some of the very last words of Ephesians six. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love and It's all over Paul's letters. Now it's really no surprise then that he prays for that very thing here. It's no surprise. A harmonious church means much to Paul. Why does a harmonious church mean much to Paul? Because it means much to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You heard it this morning in the new commandment. Jesus gave it to us. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. That you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You want to know why the North America doesn't know that the church is worth anything? Because we don't love one another. Jesus said it right there. This is how the world will finally go, wow, those people are real disciples of Jesus. Because they love one another. He said it. Not only does He say it there, when you get over to John 17, when He's praying for the people whom God has given to Him to say, one of the things He says is sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Truth. Then he goes on to say, and may they be one, love, truth, and peace. May they be one, so that all the world will know. He says this like three times. There's two things that all the world will come to know as we have tangible harmony. So that all the world will know that you have sent me. Think about that. That means the world, much of the world comes to believe that you have sent me. They will know that you've sent me as your people are one. And then he says, May they be one so that the world will know that they are my disciples. Isn't that interesting? Why is Paul concerned about harmony in the church? Because Jesus is concerned about harmony in the church. He's concerned about this tangible harmony. This is what he wants. And good news is, Jesus prayed that prayer. Guess who's not going to reject him? This is not a trick question. Jesus prayed to the Father that prayer. Guess who's going to answer that prayer? Because he, he does not say no to his son. It's going to get answered, thank God. Are you ready for it? Are you already leaning in that direction? Do you look in that direction? Do you have the same desire that Jesus prayed for? So it means lots to Paul. It's very important to Paul to have this harmony because it means much to our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the prayer is live in harmony. But then, notice that... Um, uh, to live in harmony is in Christ alone, which uh, because He's the one who levels us, levels us for harmony. And that's verses 8 through 12. This will be very quick, but just look at verses 8 through 12. Notice what I'm saying leveled, what I'm saying, referring to is a sense of uh, grounded and straight. Grounded and straight. Okay? Ann and I go camping and we take a little level out and we stop and we take off our little camper, you know, our little teardrop camper. It's cute. It's cute as a bug's ear. That camper, right? And, and we got to put the level on it so I can crank it up and make sure that we're not sleeping with our feet in the air or sleeping with our heads in the air. Right? It's got to be level. So Jesus, we're in Christ and it's He who levels us for harmony. Okay? And you'll see that when you look down there at verses 8 and following. Notice how He puts it. For. That very first word, for. Here's the reason I'm, pray, I'm praying this prayer and why I desire this tangible harmony. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. He's talking to a mixed, ethnic, mixed ethnicity church with Jews and Gentiles. So Christ came, became a servant to the circumcised, the Jews, to show God's truthfulness. To show that God's truth is Durable, in fact, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. To validate God's word. Truth is important. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written. And then he goes to the Old Testament and quotes from Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. Right? Very interesting. To show that this has always been God's plan. 
this tangible harmony that is not racially or ethnically exclusive, but together in Jesus Christ. Leveled, leveled for harmony. And so he uses that to show language, that in order, in order that. Um, and then, as I said, he piles on these snippets of sacred scripture from Psalm 18 and Psalm 117. That's why, by the way, our responsive reading included Psalm 18 and Psalm 117. So you could see where that was used there. He brings in Deuteronomy 32 and Isaiah 11. And he's doing that to make the case that Jesus' mission, the mission of Jesus was to level us for harmony, to level us for harmony. Now then he returns to prayer that we would become, we would be linked with harmony. So notice how he puts it there in verse 13. You're back at prayer language at verse 13. May the God of hope. Notice the connection between verse 12 and verse 13. In him with the Gentiles hope, may the God of hope. Do you hear the connection? Right? So God, the God of Israel is the God of the Gentiles. That the Gentiles may hope, the God of hope. And notice what he wants. That the God of hope fill you, second person plural. Fill you all. Fill you together. Fill you together with what? Joy and peace in believing. So that by the power, and this is what it takes, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, second person plural, you together may abound in hope. Right? So the Gentiles, the Gentiles, uh, uh, in Him will the Gentiles hope. And so it takes the power, so by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you together may have hope. Linked together in harmony. And that's part of his prayer. That's how he wraps up this whole section is with that last piece of the prayer. May the God of hope fill you together with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you together may abound in hope. And so the prayer back up in verses 5-7 through seven, runs through, if you will, runs through verses 8-12 through 12, and it lands at verse 13. Together, filled with joy and peace in believing. Together, abounding in hope. And all accomplished. Notice this. Go back and look at verses 5-13 through 13 quickly. Notice, is the Son involved in verses 5-13? through 13? Yes. Is the Father involved in 5-13? through 13? Yes. Is the Spirit involved in 5-13? through 13? Yes. All of God is involved. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no division there. There's eternal harmony there. And you've been adopted into their family. And you've been adopted into that communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Of course, harmony is the natural, proper, grace-filled outworking of what God has done for us. Does that make sense? That's why He's praying this prayer. So as I end, four things. Paul's gospel-saturated prayer spurs us to join with him and pray for harmony. To pray for harmony in our congregation. It's always the right thing and a good thing to pray for. Harmony in our congregation. Harmony in our denomination. Harmony uh, for other churches. 
I love the fact that I get together with pastors from other churches, Baptists, Methodists, and so forth, very conservative, and we pray for one another. It's really encouraging. It's exciting because we're actually practicing the answer to Paul's prayer and the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. It's delight to be a part of that. We don't always agree, but we laugh at our disagreement. And we also make fun of each other, and it's really wonderful. It's a great moment, right? So we talk, well, I'll get into it some other time. But praying for the harmony of other churches based on truth, which gets us then to our second point. Paul's gospel-saturated prayer spurs us to join with him and pray that the harmony would grow out of the endurance-building, encouragement-giving scriptures of the God of endurance and encouragement. It was a long sentence, let me say it again. Paul's gospel-saturated prayer spurs us to join with him and pray that the harmony would grow out of the endurance-building, encouragement-giving scripture of the God of endurance and encouragement. Some denominations and some groups don't believe the scriptures. It's very, very clear in the way that they talk. It's hard to have harmony with them, and if you have harmony with them, it may not be a good harmony, if you know what I'm saying, because they don't have the same frame of reference. But you want it, and so what it's going to require is them to actually submit to Scripture. You may not always agree with them, but they need to come to that point where they say, yes, the Word of God, the Bible is the Word of God, it is the final rule of faith and life, and we submit to them. That would be a big day in Christianity in North America. I'm just telling you. But there's where harmony is going to grow out of. So you pray for that. You join with Paul in that prayer. Thirdly, Paul's gospel-saturated prayer spurs us to join him and pray for Jesus-centered harmony. Jesus-centered harmony. That we would remember that we're to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. That he's the center of the harmony. Not me, not you, not my desires, not my denomination. Jesus is a center of that harmony. Jesus-centered harmony. Fourthly, Paul's gospel-saturated prayer spurs us to join with him and pray for a tangible harmony. A tangible harmony. A harmony that can be seen, a harmony that can be touched, a harmony that can be heard. Real, live harmony. So as we learn to pray with Paul, there's one of the first areas we can begin practicing. Take up this week, Romans 15, 5-13. Pray with tangible harmony. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for our mentor, your hand-picked spokesman, Paul, who spoke. What he said was what Jesus said. What he says is what Jesus says. Thank you that he set us down. He knelt down beside us, pulled us down next to Him, and He led us in prayer. Help us to pray. To pray in similar ways. To pray for tangible harmony. A tangible harmony based upon the endurance and uh, endurance building and encouragement and uh, uh, encouragement spurring word of the God of endurance and encouragement. Grant us and help us and aid us to pray for a harmony that's tangible, seeable, that is knowable, observable. Lord, forgive us when we haven't done that. Forgive us when we thought that truth and truth alone all by itself was what was needed and who cares about peace and harmony. 
Help us to have the heart of God so that we love truth and peace. In the name of the one who made us at peace with you and with one another, Jesus, your son. Amen.